Hi, this is Stuart Weems and thanks for listening to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about four tactics that you can employ as a property investor to mitigate or at least somewhat reduce uh, some of the headwinds that property investors are facing at the moment. So things like like tighter credits and um, the potential abolition of negative gearing and increase in capital gains tax if Shorten wins the election, um, falling property prices, you know, new apartment supply in some sectors um, and locations and states. Uh, some of these are, are the headwinds that investors are, are facing. and You'd be sort of excused, I guess, for almost giving up and thinking, well, either now's not the time to invest in property or don't invest in property at all. Well, uh, firstly, I, I would say to that that it, in times of high uncertainty or um, negative uh, consumer or investment sentiment um, can often bring about some of the best investment opportunities. And I'll share a story uh, with you of my own uh, towards the end of this uh, this podcast to demonstrate that. But um, if you're looking at these sorts of things, particularly tax changes and tighter credit and so forth, what can you do within your investment strategy or your investment approach to um, protect yourself as much as possible from all the risks? Now, we're investing, and with every investment, there's always some level of risk. So we can't fool ourselves to thinking it's a riskless exercise, but um, certainly we can do things to mitigate them. So let's get into it. The first tactic is to invest with owner occupiers. And probably a, a better way to um, frame this tactic is to say, don't invest in types of property or locations that are dominated by investors. So a good example of that sector is um, the high-rise apartment market um, in, most, in most capital cities, but particularly Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, you know, there's a lot of the, a lot of construction has occurred over the last 10 years in that space, in that sector. And those apartments, those properties are typically marketed to investors. Um, so the, the amount of units owned or apartments owned by investors in Victoria is around about 60%, about 50% in New South Wales. Um, so that's, that's across the board. I would suspect that the um, investment ownership in in high-rise towers, residential towers, probably to be approaching or even beyond 80%. So the problem with um, doing that then is if there's changes to tax legislation and investors um, are scared away from the, the property market for a, a period of time, that obviously reduces the demand. Um, because those sorts of properties will stay in investor hands and they'll be marketed to investors. Whereas if you're investing in a location that's dominated by owner-occupiers, so you know more than 50% of properties in a location or type of property occupied by owner-occupiers, well, we've all got to live somewhere, right? So that demand is uh, far more sustainable um, and less likely to be impacted by things like negative gearing and those sorts of things. So have a think about when you're investing, have a think about where you're investing and who's the predominant owner within that location. So the second tactic is invest before year 2020, probably before July 2020, really. So Shorten has stated that the ban on negative gearing and the implementation of the higher capital gains tax rate will only apply at a yet-to-be-determined date. So 
It, they've also confirmed that it won't be retrospective and so it won't apply to properties bought before that yet-to-be-determined date. So if we assume the election happens in May next year, which is the latest it can happen, um, depending on um, the if the ALP win and depending on what majority they win with, um, it, they're still probably going to take them at least a year to get the legislation drafted, get it out for comment, and then get it passed. So I think the most practical, you know, earliest implementation dates probably at the beginning of the 2020-2021 financial year, so there's 1 July 2020. Um, I think it, maybe they could implement it before then, but I think that would be really difficult to do. So um, if you want to avoid um, being caught by those changes, then clearly if you invest in property before 1 July 2020, you, you're probably going to be okay. Now, of course, they could win, the election could happen sooner, and they could pass the legislation uh, earlier than that as well. So just, just be careful that obviously, that date obviously isn't set in stone. Tactic number three is level up on quality. So in my article, a recent article that I wrote for the Australian newspaper, and the, the links to that are in the show notes, um, I calculated that if the ALP's tax policies are implemented as proposed, that the impact would reduce the after-tax return on property by about 26%. So a quarter of the return is uh, lost because of the higher tax rate. So I worked out based on uh, holding everything the same but just changing the, the tax consequences that the return on property is about after-tax uh, compounding annual returns about 12.6%, but with the changes it falls to 9.3%. Still 9.3% is not so bad. The best way to mitigate, um, I guess, known and unknown risks, you know, because any um, clown could pop their head up and come up with a new tax policy that we're not even contemplating today. Uh, so but the best way to mitigate that is is really to generate as much return as possible naturally. Now, of course, it doesn't protect you. You're still taxed as a percentage of that return. So you're still going to be out of pocket by 26%. But if you can invest in a really great asset and instead of um, generating 9.3%, and that's based on a, a 5% plus inflation capital growth rate. So um, if you can generate, say, 10%, then your after-tax return is still going to be in double digits, um, even if those tax policies are implemented. So in my book, Investopoly, um, I talk about the sort of subgrades within the investment-grade property class. So, you know, not every investment grade property is equal. Um, and, you know, a house in on a, a, a rather small block of land, maybe 250 square metres, single fronted, two bedroom Victorian cottage um, in, a, in a fantastic suburb in Melbourne, such as Hawthorne or Paran or South Yarra, um, in, a, in a nice quiet street, uh, an asset like that is probably towards the upper end of that spectrum of investment grade. And as such, you, you should expect then to, for that asset to generate reasonable capital growth, quite healthy capital growth, in fact. However, an entry-level um, property, which might be worth, say, half a million dollars, and it's, it's probably in a 1970s block of apartments of maybe 10 or 12 or 15, um, pretty ugly-looking sort of property, not necessarily very large, um, but still fundamentally sound in a good location. That's probably the entry level. And so the entry level property is not going to produce the same, or at least you can't expect an entry level property to produce the same level of capital growth that a higher end 
uh, investment grade property. And what I've essentially done is um, drawn a, a link between, say, bond ratings and property ratings. So, you know, a triple A rated bond has an extremely low chance of default and typically issued by a government, you know, the Australian government, for example. Um, and that's an excellent great asset. So the, the two-bedroom single front of Victorian Cottage would be a triple A rated investment property, um, whereas a triple B rated bond has a still investment grade, um, but it has a higher risk than of default than a triple A rated uh, bond. And so to, to draw the same comparison, uh, that entry level one bedroom 1970s apartment um, is probably a triple B rated uh, investment grade property. So um, uh, I'm getting a bit sort of tongue-tied, but what I'm essentially trying to say is that, okay, if we want to reduce our risk, the best way to reduce our risk, and this is true with really every investment, not just property, is to level up on quality, to get the absolutely highest quality asset. If we, if you own the best property, just notionally, if you own the best property in Australia, the best investment property in Australia, you're going to do well, aren't you? In the long run, it's going to generate great returns. Whereas um, compromising and getting average quality property, it's going to be more exposed to those market changes and taxation changes and so forth uh, than, than a really good quality property. So number three is level up on quality. And number four is future-proof, future-proof your loan structure. So I think when it comes to borrowing these days, the starting assumption has to be that you're never going to get any more access to credit. So what you're able to get approved at the moment, you, you should uh, take the approach or view and, and base your decisions on the fact that the bank's never going to give you any more money. Because I think for a lot of people, that's a relatively safe assumption. And, and what that does do is it then mitigates some of the risk of, you know, um, going and get a loan today and then thinking, well, I'll go back in a year's time and borrow more money then. The, the opportunity to go back in a year's time and borrow more money might not actually be there because of tightening credit, changing circumstances and those sorts of things. So there's two things that you should think about in, in particular when it comes to structuring your loans. The first one is borrow as much as you can. Borrow the full cost and direct any existing cash savings and future cash surplus into a linked offset account. Um, at least then you lock in and building buffers into loans, etc. If you think you might need to do some repairs or improvements down the track, try and um, build in access to, to um, capital uh, through your loans at that particular stage when you first purchase the property. The second consideration is repayments. If you go for principal interest repayments, and I've done a podcast on this, if you go for principal interest repayments, you'll save yourself nearly half a percent, just under half a percent uh, in interest cost. But the downside is that the um, cash flow uh, repayment then is, is higher than if it was interest only. So you just need to do those numbers and work out, you know, should you be um, setting up as interest only so you can minimise the cost and it, do you have enough cash flow to be able to do that? Another option potentially is running the repayments through a line of credit uh, so that you just put the interest into the line of credit and the line of credit soaks up that principal repayment. Uh, and if you have that sort of structure, you're notionally not making any repayments. You've got an interest-only loan, but the interest rate you get is the principal interest rate, so saving you half a percent. But now more than ever, given the credit tightening, um, it, now more than ever, I think you really need to get good quality uh, credit advice and make sure your loans are structured correctly. Um, remember, 
we're playing the long game here. You know, that uh, all these risks, you know, changes in tax and tighter credit and rising interest rates and falling property prices and supply issues, all these sorts of things, we've all seen it before. You know, over, over the last three to four decades, the property market, investment-grade property, has generated fantastic returns. Often, you know, capital growth rates of 10, 12, 13, 14, 15%. Um, over that period of time. And over that period of time, we've seen some massive changes. You know, we've seen double-digit interest rates. Um, we saw the actual introduction of capital gains tax in 1985 and um, and even the uh, abolition of um, negative gearing back then as well in 85 for, for a short period of time. Um, we've seen economic shocks. Uh, we've seen recessions. We've seen market crashes, all those sorts of things. So the market has seen it all before. It will get through it. And in the long run, uh, long-term investors that are really focused on quality, that are prudent, that are managing their risk and risk and, and implementing with a, a really good strategy um, will be rewarded in the long run. So don't worry so much. Don't necessarily read the papers. Don't worry about all the uncertainty. It actually could be your friend. And so let me share you a quick story about that. So I attended an auction back in October 2008. And um, a few weeks prior to that, in September 2008, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And that was really um, the, the, the thing that really kicked off the, the, the GFC. And the share market was... In October uh, 08, when I went to that auction, the share market was in free fall. In fact, it lost 35 in Australia, it lost 35% of its value between September 08 and March uh, 2009. So that six-month period was was a terrible. If anyone remembers that market, uh, it was it was really terrible. And according to the media, you know, the world was over and business would change and everything would change. Anyway, I went to this auction, right? And I thought I didn't think I was had any chance of buying this property. And in fact. I was nearly going to pull the pin, and I thought, and in the end, I thought I'll go just to see what happens. But I didn't think I was in the market. Anyway, I bought the property for one point two one million dollars, and intuitively, I think in a normalised market, maybe it was worth one four one five. So I got, you know, I was pretty happy with the price that I paid, uh, particularly thinking that um, it was going to be outside my price range. Now that property would be easily worth two and a half million dollars today, but. Um, unfortunately, due to personal circumstances, I don't own that property anymore. Um, but my point is that at times of uncertainty and low consumer sentiments, sentiment, sometimes opportunities can arise, but you're only going to see them if you're looking for them. So the fact that every, um, we've got a little bit of negativity around property, we've got tighter credit, we've got some potential tax changes, all those sorts of things, perhaps it's actually a good window of opportunity to start investing and get in the market. Of course, we're taking a long-term view here, so I'm not suggesting that everyone should rush into the market now, or in fact that it is actually a good time I'm in, in time. Uh, the time in the market, I've done the studies, doesn't have any impact on your overall returns, and there's a blog um, somewhere on our website about that. So, um, uh, but... You know, look as the look at this negativity as as your potential friend, uh, particularly if you're you're in the property market or you're looking to purchase a property. So that's it uh, for for this blog. Um, the the four tactics. I hope they're useful. Um, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump onto iTunes and and uh, give it a five star rating. I'd much appreciate it. Um, but until next week, bye for now.